Well, good morning to everyone. God is good. It's good to be here. Last day of the feast, I guess, officially here. I mean, yeah, we told you Bible school officially goes on until Sunday, but I guess of the uh, formal teachings, if you will. And today, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But here we are on Friday already. Turn in your Bibles this morning for our teaching to Job. I'm sorry, Jude. It was close, but yet very different. <laughs> the book of Jude. <clears throat> All right, let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we're honored and privileged to be gathered here with the Bible in our hands and, and have committed unto us this, this gospel, this message from heaven. Lord, many in the world don't have that privilege. And uh, we thank you that we have it, Lord, and we have heard it. And many of us have experienced it to the extent that it, it changed our lives, Lord, the gospel. Lord, we're, we're responsible. We're, we need to, be accounted. We're, uh, need to be responsible this morning for what we have been given, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to, to bring out the points that are needful this morning for this young audience, Lord. And for all of us, for that matter, Lord, so much has been given to us, and uh, I pray that we would get a more clearer picture of that this morning. Lord, bless the preaching, the teaching of it, Lord, and the receiving of it, Father. Thank you for this little book. I pray that you would bless the words in it this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> The book of Jude. The book of Jude is a very interesting book. It, it looks almost like he had something else on his mind to start with when he started writing this book or had given himself to perhaps write about the salvation. And then as the time came near to write this book, he felt very much impressed to, to change and, and write about the faith and, and the uh, defense of it, if you will, and to contend for the true faith because of what he saw. He saw the uh, false teaching. He saw what was happening already to the pure gospel as it was given to them from the Lord. And so he, it appears, changed his writing as it says in verse 3, when he gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that seems to be what was on his heart, then it looks like it changes there, and it says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Because of what he saw happening in, his, in that short amount of time. Imagine that. That wasn't that long. Already it was being attacked and changed and twisted and taught falsely. So I think we'll take time to read the whole thing here and then come back and, and, and study it. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. One thing unique about this book is that it's a general epistle. It's not just specifically to one location, even though we, 
we, uh, we, we can learn a lot and take a lot out of those epistles as well. But this is a general epistle to all those that are sanctified, including us here this morning. Think about that. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will put you in remember. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this. How that the Lord. Having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward destroyed them that believe not. Wow. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. And I believe that's referring to when they were cast out of heaven with, along with Lucifer. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And he gives another example. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, I believe this is the men that he's talking about, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Something the angels wouldn't do. Yet Michael, the archangel, when, he cont when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these filthy dreamers, these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about a wind of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own, their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Look at verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, Adam prophesied of these. Saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Now this is Enoch to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What a message, Enoch. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last days who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
and of some having compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. That is a really amazing short book. Earnestly contend for the faith. I'd like to look at two different parts this morning. First of all, what it means to earnestly contend and then try and define the faith to us. We'll come back a little later, maybe, and spend some more time here in Jude, but if the faith, if the faith needs to be earnestly contended for, then that means that there is a danger of losing the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Or there's a danger of it being changed from what it was originally. Or there's a danger that we need to contend for to not allow it to get, for it to get twisted or changed or lose it from what it was when it was first given by the apostles. I don't know what that does to you, but... I feel a little bit of a responsibility when I think of it that way. This true, beautiful, life-changing, soul-saving, giving direction for our lives, faith was delivered from God to man. It wasn't some dream that someone had. It wasn't some good idea that someone had. This message came from the Lord and it was delivered, as it says in verse 3, to the saints, to the Christians. And then, of course, we have the Holy Spirit to inspire it, but men can take it and twist it and teach it and make it say something else. But God gives that responsibility to you and me to, to, de, to come back to the Logos word, the written word, and make sure that what we're hearing, that what's being taught is what in fact was given in the beginning to the early church. And that is the burden of Jude, that we would earnestly contend. That means to struggle You know, when we hear something and it doesn't sound quite right and we go check it out and we search it out and we and we go to the pains and the means and take the times and take the responsibility to make sure what we're teaching is, in fact, the true faith, the life changing faith, the soul saving faith. I feel a responsibility for that, both probably most of all, to live it. That's the hardest part. And that includes all of us in this room. Sisters, this beautiful faith came down, and it's not just a mental ascent, as we'll see later, but it is a system of belief. It is a system of doctrine that was taught by the Lord. And people line their lives up with that. And in order to have the true faith and to contend for the true faith, it's more than words. It's a life. It's the word made flesh like we heard the other night. Jesus came down and he was made flesh. Now he wants to flesh that life out through us. Through you sisters and brothers and all of us. And we need to struggle. We need to contend for that. Let's think about this changing of this pure gospel a bit. 
How does this happen? Well, Paul told the Romans that those that once knew God changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. How can it be? Somehow they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. They changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped the creature more than the creator. How did this happen? Well, it happened, one of, the, one of the reasons it happened was this, or two reasons, uh, Paul gives it right in the next, Paul gives it here in the same text. He says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They didn't keep God in his rightful place. They lost the fear of God somehow, and they became their own gods, and they worshiped their own bodies. And we see a lot of that in our day. Worship of the body is big. Just think of all the exposure of the body and all the tattoos that you see just rampant in our day. That's a form of worship of the body. And they change, uh, they glorified not uh, God, they glorified him not as God. And the other problem was they were not, they were unthankful. But they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. One way things get changed, if we don't keep God in his rightful place. Brothers and sisters, we do not understand God with our minds. We understand God with our spirit. The things of God are spiritually discerned. And we need to cultivate, and we need to keep that part of us alive. The, the relationship with God that gives us a healthy fear of God and keeps God in his rightful place, and he gets the glory out of our lives, and we give him the glory for who he is, and we thank him for who he is. You start losing that, and God becomes no longer the God who he needs to be in our estimation. They became unthankful. That was Paul's warning of how things change. Peter has something to say too. He refers back to some of Paul's writings and he says this, referring to Paul. Peter is saying this now, as also in all his epistles, Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things, and I believe he's talking perhaps about this same group of people that we just talked about out of Romans, Peter is referring back to that, speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood. We realize that. Which things, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. They don't understand these things. Those that are unlearned and unstable, so they rest the scriptures. And it doesn't mean they just let it go. They just let it rest. They just let it be. That's not what that word rest means. It's spelled W-R-E-S-T. It means instead of letting it go, instead of trying to figure the truth out, they, they take it into their hands and they twist it. They rest it. And they make it say what they want it to say as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. That was Peter's warning. The beloved apostle John also gives us a warning, and he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. There is a danger of losing what we once had. There is a danger 
of losing out. There's a danger that we lose the things which we have wrought or things that have, we had once had established in our lives if we don't look to ourselves. More on that later. But those are three warnings from Paul, Peter, and John about the possibility and the way things get changed. And Jude's burden is that we contend for those things not to happen in our lives and in our church. Let us consider a little bit now this matter of earnestly contending from a few other scriptures. We have other words that say the same thing. If you're here this morning and you have the concept of the Christian life being uh, anything but a struggle, but a fight, but a, a war, you, you need to be instructed because it's so much more than just a picnic. It's so much more than just put it in, in, in cruise and go along from what we see in the scriptures. Jude says we should earnestly contend. That means to struggle for the true faith. Paul says in Philippians, and if you turn there with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27 to 30. Giving us another picture here of what it means to contend for the faith. In other words, only let your walk of life, your conversation be as it beautifies the gospel. Let the way you live be becoming of the gospel of Christ Verse 27, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. There we have that same thought. One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, Look at that word. There's an adversary, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. Many like that part. Amen. Many like that part of believing on Christ for our salvation, but also to suffer for his sake. That's the hard part. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. This admonition is given in the context of how we live. More than a mental belief. More than just receiving Christ into my heart and being saved and then kind of going on with my life. That is what we call the modern day gospel. It doesn't affect the way we live. But this is this striving is given in the context of how we live. How we live. We should live in such a way that the people can read the gospel by our life. Our life should be becoming of the gospel. In other words, it would be difficult for someone to see Jesus in your life if you have a picture of the devil on your t-shirt, you know what I mean? It will be hard to, for the people to see Jesus in your life if we're hating our brother. We should live in such a way that is becoming of the gospel. And that's the context that, that, context that this striving together is written in. So all of us, if we just let our Selves go, we could, we could have feelings of anger and hatred if we let it go, but we are called to struggle against that and strive against that. This striving together is given in the context of adversaries. We see that word there, false prophets, adversaries. 
people that don't like the gospel. When you start living like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around you and you have adversaries all of a sudden. Just a quick testimony of back when I was converted back 18 years old. I was 18 years old and, and, and the Lord gave me a new song. I used to be into all the wrong kinds of music. Well, maybe not all the, all the wrong kinds, but plenty of it, enough of it. And, but the Lord gave me a new song, and so I was so happy, so filled with the Spirit of God that at the workplace, I would sing hymns. And that's not a good idea if, you know, if, uh, if you want people to think well of you because, you know, they don't like hymns on the workplace. It's usually rock and roll or country or something else, but you start singing hymns, all of a sudden, people get uncomfortable about you. You have adversaries, and that leads to suffering, and they, may, they might mock you. But as Paul told the Philippians, it's an, it's an evident token to you of the salvation of God in your life. It's beautiful. So this is something we need to strive for. It doesn't come automatically. It's part of contending for the true faith. Turn with me to Thessalonians. We'll look at two more here. Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me see which one. I believe it's 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4. Make sure that. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 to 4. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto you, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God and showeth himself that he is God. That does not seem like the right text here. Second Thessalonians. Well, that doesn't quite line up with the rest of my notes here. Let me look here. Well, I have enough of information on the rest of my notes. Let's just go on to 1 Timothy 6. We won't bother with that one. 1 Timothy 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. This is given in the context of fighting the good fight of faith. That word fight means to agonize. So we could read it like this, agonize a good agony. Thou, we all have a contest that we're in, and that is to sustain 
the honor, the life, and the soul that are at stake. And Paul told Timothy that he should fight for that. Agonize a good agony. Live the gospel. Let the word become flesh in you. Defend the cause of God. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, we sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We sing that song. Agonize a good agony. Live the gospel, defend the cause of God when it's challenged. Here again, we have false teachers. He points out false teachers to us here. And we have the passions of the flesh. It's given that in this chapter, it's in the context of false teachers. And it's given in the context of dealing with the passions of the flesh. We have over in uh, verse 6 and 7 and 8 there talks about contentment. And that uh, with food and raiment we should be content. And then it talks about riches and so on. But we're dealing with passions of the flesh. And that is part of the true faith. That we should fight against. And also false teachers we find in this uh, in this, uh, in this context, uh, we find that in, the, in, in those that are rich to, uh, to uh, not be high-minded, but to, to be rich towards God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The picture that I'm trying to paint here for us is that contending for the faith Sometimes it's said in different words. Fighting the good fight, running the race, putting effort into what we believe. <clears throat> Do we get the picture, brothers and sisters? Do we get the picture? All right, going on to the faith. Point number two. Let's talk about the faith what we're fighting for, defining that a bit. Jude's concerns, along with Paul and Peter and others, were about the faith, the true faith, the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. Sometimes the Bible uses the word faith in the sense of one's personal level of trust or my, my personal faith in God. I want to make that cl cl uh, clear to us here this morning. It uses it that way. We read of a great faith, a weak faith, a little faith. That has to do more with our own personal faith and trust and belief in God. <clears throat> For example, in Matthew 8, verse 10, we Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. That was talking about a man that was putting his trust in what Jesus was saying. But it's also used frequently throughout the Bible where we have faith expressed as a system of belief or a body of doctrine, a way of life. And that's what Jude is speaking about this morning. Do you, are you with me on that? The two different kinds of faith. My own personal faith in God and the faith which is a body or a system of beliefs. A, a way of life, if you will. The gospel system. All that Jesus taught. For example, in Acts 6 verse 7, we have a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. In other words, they came and joined the body of believers. They were obedient to the faith. In Galatians, it is told, and I wonder if you could tell me who this is talking about. I'm sure you could. That he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. Who was he talking about? Paul. Paul hated the Christian system. 
He hated the new movement. He hated the way. It challenged his belief system. He was a Pharisee, and he did everything he could do to, to wipe him out. He persecuted the Christians and the way they lived. That is the faith which we're talking about. Paul told Timothy that the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That could mean maybe both we, we stop having faith in God, but it could also mean we walk away from the whole system and body of belief, the teachings of Christ. We walk away from it. You might even have some people say, well, I have my own little church. I, it's just me and God. You know, I still believe in God, but I don't do church. I don't, you know, I, I just can't do all that. Well, I would say that is walking away or not embracing the faith. Paul told Timothy that some should depart from that, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, devils. And I believe that is what Jude is exactly talking about. Okay, the faith. Number one under this point is the faith, and I already said a little bit about this in the beginning, but the faith was divinely given. It was given from God. It was delivered to them, the early church, the apostles. Paul told the Galatians, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This treasure from God was given down to men. Think about that. That is a responsibility that we have this morning to pass on the true faith to the next generation. It, he was not taught it by man, neither given it by man, but it came to him by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The, all the teachings of Jesus some would like to, to, to uh, shrink that down to, to just the, the, the gospel message maybe of salvation. But I would contend this morning it's everything that Jesus taught. It's the Sermon on the Mount, how we live, how we respond to our enemies. All that Jesus taught, wow. And we need to contend for that. Because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to man. Peter said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <coughs> Jesus told John out there on the Isle of Patmos, write these things down. Write them down and give them to the church. Because of this, because of this, because of how it came, are you listening? Because of how it came, it was divinely given by God. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. And we don't modify it. What we do do, we make application. Number two, the faith was delivered to saints, to Christians. What are we to do with it? What shall we do with this faith that was delivered to saints? Number one, we must teach it. You heard about that yesterday. We must take this system of belief, this Logos word that we have in the Bible, and we must preach and teach and make disciples with it. Under the inspiration of God, preaching by the, with the anointing of the Holy Ghost to those that never heard, it was given to man, and now we are to teach it. One of the things, 
Number two, we are to live it in such a way that it, our lives are consistent with the principles of the Word of God. We are to live it. Only let your conversation, your living, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. How can you be a light to the world? Maybe you can talk about that in your discussion groups. Number three, we must be prepared and willing to defend the gospel. That's what Jude is talking about. We must be willing to say, no, that's not what it says. And that gets pretty hard sometimes. Especially when it comes from within the church. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, I can lay my eyes on it here. In Acts here, I have the right chapter, but if I can find the verse. Yes, here it is. Paul said, take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And I know he's talking to leaders here, but someday you're going to be leaders and leaders' wives. Take heed to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, coming in from without, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And that's difficult when that happens, but those need to be exposed, pointed out, dealt with. The gospel needs to be defended. The true faith needs to be defended and say, this is the way it is. You can't, you can't say that the grace of God gives me the license to sin. Many are saying that today. You can't say that. The true grace of God teaches us to over, overcome sin by the power of God. And you'll hear all kinds of things in your lifetime. I can hardly imagine what you might hear yet. Today they're saying it's okay for all kinds of sin in the church, in the pulpit. Unbelievable. But there it is. They're wrangling with it. And many aren't even wrangling with it anymore. They've just accepted it. Jude would, would, would surely say that needs to be contended for and put out of the church. So that's what we are to do with the faith. Did you ever consider that it was for this very reason that Paul had chains on his legs? It was because he stood for the defense of the gospel for this very reason. If you want to read that, you can read it in Philippians 1, 17 sometimes. It talks about why he's in chains. And it is because of his defense of the gospel of Christ. Whenever the faith is assaulted either from within or from without the church, faithful men and women should firmly rise up and contend for the truth. Band together. It shouldn't be just a few, but the whole body should band together against a problematic situation and earnestly contend for the true faith. Songwriter said it well where he said, Shall I be carried to the skies in flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Oh, dearly beloved, let us contend for the true faith. Number three. To contend... For the faith does not mean to be contentious. Just a short point on that. Somehow we must learn to contend for the faith without becoming contentious. Paul said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, not be quarrelsome, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves 
if God peradventure will, will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So there is a way not to contend for the faith, and that is by being contentious. <clears throat> the wrath of man worketh not the will of God. All right, number four. Right contending as a body, as a church. We can go back to Jude, to our text, and I want to go down through there a bit and point out some things. Contending for some specific things here. Where false teachers turn the grace of God into lawlessness or lasciviousness, as Jude says here, That they do that, in verse 4, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, saying, well, grace of God will cover that. Where, when, I don't think, no one's perfect, and I know the grace of God does cover some things, but the moment we say the grace of God will cover that, then I begin to question if it will. Because I think we're already stepping out from you know, really seeking God about it, maybe, maybe being open to change or whatever. But we should never say that the grace of God will cover my bad habit. The grace of God will cover my shortcoming and just kind of accept it that that is the way it is and stop striving for higher ground. We should always strive for higher ground, amen? So where the grace, where the false teachers turn the grace of God into lawlessness, there the true Christians contend for holiness. Okay, for holiness. Next one, where they deny the Lord Jesus. If you ever meet those, John tells us we should contend for this one to the point of not letting them into our house. Want to get practical? If you meet people that deny the Lord Jesus, well, don't just sit down and have a meal with them and pretend everything's fine. John says, don't even let them in your house. That's what John says in 2 John verse 10. Where angels are an example of rebellion, verse 8. Likewise, um, yeah, they speak evil of, they defile, they, they speak, they despise dominion, they speak evil of dignities. Where angels are an example of rebellion and a lack of fear, We contend for submission and the fear of God. Okay, next one. Where the lifestyle of Sodom is promoted, we contend for cross-bearing and self-denial. So we have there a list of that, of those of, of Sodom. Where there is no fear of God, verses 8 to 10, it talks about a lack of fear of God. Bring railing accusation. We contend for the true fear of God. Where there is the hatred of Cain, in verse 11, the church, the believers contend for the love of the brethren. Where there is covetousness, the covetousness of Balaam, verse 11, we contend for contentment. Where there is rebellion, like the rebellion of Kor, you know, in the, with the children of Israel where they rebelled against Moses and the earth opened up and swallowed Kor and his company, where that spirit is prevailing, Rebellion against parents, rebellion against authority, all authority, we contend for submission one to another.
to give you some practical things there. As a church, we do that. Now, how about some personal contending in my own life? Number five, point number five, contending for personal, personally for my salvation. Paul told Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Give, uh, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Well, it seems like if I read this right, it seems like if we quit contending, if we quit taking heed, we lose out to the point of losing our salvation. Take heed unto thyself and unto doctrine, the things that Jesus taught, the whole scope of teaching. For in them, in doing that, thou shalt both save thyself as a teacher and them that hear thee. How does this work? How do we do this? Well, number one, we take heed and we look at the doctrine. And like someone said this week, I believe it was here that they said, we look in the Bible for things that we might not be doing. Another thing we can do to personally contend, if you will, for my own salvation is to build myself up. Verse 20 of Jude. Beloved, building up yourselves. This doesn't happen by reading romance novels. It doesn't happen by reading sports magazines, all those other things alone. It happens how? By reading the word, by prayer. Build up yourselves. And this is something to contend for. Ask any older Christian and he will tell you that is how it works. <clears throat> Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying according to the will of God. Praying scripture back to God. Singing songs back to God. That is what it means to pray in the Holy Ghost. Okay, next one, contend to maintain your position as a Christian. What is that position? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Many Christians today are failing and they are under condemnation simply because they don't keep themselves in the love of God. They fall under the condemnation of the devil, some with very... Their very tender consciences might, might fall under the condemnation of the devil. But Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Make God big to you. Make his mercy big and keep yourself in his love. Next one that you need to contend for in your personal life is to maintain your gaze. Where are you looking? It makes a difference. And the thing here that you are to do is to looking to the Lord. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You fix your, guys on, your eyes on Jesus. You look to the author and finisher of your faith and you keep your gaze there. The devil wants to... Bring your eyes down. He wants you to look around. He wants you to look inward. And boy, you'll lose out fast if you look there long enough. You won't make it long if you look inward. And another one is push yourself out of your comfort zone. Grow in grace. This one is found in the last few verses of Jude here. Push yourselves out of your comfort zone. I think Dale said something last night about sharing a testimony, reaching out, sharing the gospel with someone that uh, has never, no, he didn't say that in that conversation, but I believe he did say sharing your testimony, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. That helps you grow. 
If you always stay in a greenhouse, you'll be thin and spindly and weak and no, no good root system. You need to be out where the wind is and your roots go down and you weather the storm. Amen? If you want to make it, you're going to have to contend for this one in your personal life. And here it says, reaching out, having compassion on people. Save others with fear. Going places you can hardly go to save a soul. You can hardly stand the environment. It's so wicked, so evil to save a soul. Hating even the garment spotted by the, by the flesh. That will help you grow if you do that. <clears throat> Earnestly contending for the true faith. I think I'm going to read something that I was given here recently. I was, had heard about this writing and I was wanting to get it. And then this week, Dale, Dale's wife walks to me and gives me a copy of it. And I'm just going to read a portion of it. And it has to do with a system of belief, defending a system of belief like I've been talking about this morning. And this system of belief that I'm going to be, that this is written about is the Amish belief. And while maybe not everything applies to what I'm saying here, the, the truth of what I'm trying to preach here this morning does apply. And it has to do with their system being challenged. And at one point they say, I don't think it's in the part that I'm going to read, but, but at one point they say, uh, yeah. It says what fire and water and sword has failed to do to our system of belief. These things have uh, are doing, he goes on to say, the things that we're going to read about here. So let me just read a little bit of what I have here. This is about... Well, I'll just read it. We have, we had several politicians from Washington at the Behalt, and that is there in Holmes County, Ohio. This, I believe, was a couple years ago now. We had some politicians from Washington at Behalt recently, and though all of them had comments to make, one had much more to say than the others. He had quite a lot to say about the changes he sees in Amish communities. He was shocked at the number of smartphones he saw in use among the Amish and in some communities and evidently talked with people, Amish and non-Amish, about this. One thing he said really hit me, and this is an Amish man writing this, something along the lines of, if the Amish can adapt and accept something as basically American and as opposed to Amish beliefs as internet phones, Facebook, etc., maybe it's time for the Amish to take a closer look at something as basically American as serving in the military to protect their country. Wow. I tried to explain how many youth do not get involved in such things, and some Amish churches do take a stand against technology. He cut me off and said... As long as you have leaders and parents allowing this, your people don't have a leg to stand on. How can you expect us, the government, to respect your convictions when your own children do not? I couldn't think of a response, he says. And their system, what they would, how they would def define themselves is an upsundat volk means a separated people is what they would want to be. And I'm not, I'm not speaking down on them at all this morning. I'm just using this for an illustration. He has a good point, goes on here. But how can we as parents convince our children that such technology is dangerous when they see so many other old order Amish people, married people, baptized youth and unbaptized youth, Freely youth using them. We know of Amish people who have bought such smartphones for their children. 
Who would allow their children to have one of these? A smartphone will instantly connect you to the internet and all that is on it. And he quotes a Bible verse. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. With a few taps on a screen, you can watch pornography, countless TV shows or movies. You can find access to anything else Satan has to offer. Things like Facebook instantly connect a young Amish boy or a girl to hundreds or thousands of people all around the world. When you choose someone as a friend on Facebook, Facebook instantly connects you to all connects you to all of your friends' friends, whether you know them personally or not. Youth in different communities and states will be connected, and word of parties and other sad behavior spreads to countless readers within hours. I have read some of these Facebook messages and wept. And this is what our youth hold in their hand? How can we claim to be upsundered folk when our or separated people, when our people are, when our people carry Satan and the world in their pockets. Yeah, system of beliefs. Over a year ago, we had the judges from the Supreme Court of Ohio come to the area, and they not only torched, toured, sorry, toured behalt. They made other stops, too. In the morning before starting the day's rounds, we met at a motel for an introduction and a brief explanation of Amish life, beliefs, and history. The leader of the group asked how many judges had, had Amish people in their courtrooms. Many hands went up. Some said it was mostly for zoning or permit issues and other civil or business matters, but many talked about youth involved in alcohol, drugs, vandalism, unruly behavior, and so on. I felt my face burn red. Several talked about being surprised to hear the Amish consider themselves Christians, and one said she was offended by that because she sees very little Christian teaching in the youth she sees in her courtroom. She went on to say she had dealt with a few Amish girls arrested for underage drinking, and their excuse was that they are rumspringa age, means running around with the youth. And all their friends do it too. This judge said she told those girls that if they do such things because all their friends do, they can expect to be met at the gates of hell by Satan opening the door saying, come in girls, all your friends are here. She went on to say she has seen a huge increase in behavior problems with Amish since the Amish adapted the cell phone. He quotes another verse, teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Young people, that's what we're contending for. And the Amish have their challenges and problems, and we have ours. Amen? Amen. At the same time, I don't know where to stop here. At the same time, a judge from a different area was shocked Oh, let's see. Yeah, I'll read this. this I'll, I'll end on this. This is kind of a positive note. At the same time, a judge from a different area was shocked. He said they have never, ever had a criminal issue with an Amish in his area, and he has a lot of respect for them. But he also spoke of how the Amish in that area do not allow some of the technology we see in our area and have taught their youth to re be respectful of their parents, of the church, and of authority. This was a little light of encouragement, but it was only one compared to the many negative accounts. I think I'll stop with that. There's more. But, uh, yeah. What is our system of belief? What are we contending for? Are we losing out? What is the biggest threat of our group of churches? What is the biggest threat of you here today? You can talk about that in your groups. But 
Know this. If we're going to make a difference, if we're going to change anything, we're going to have to contend for it. Some people are going to like it. Some are not going to like it. We might as well accept it. Amen? Some of our friends may not like it. We might as well accept it. God bless your discussion time.